Here we go. Law and Gospel on Wednesday, November the 17th in the year of our Lord 2021. And for today, we're going to take a Law and Gospel look at what are referred to as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount, and they just don't seem to make sense. Why? You can ask anybody, do you think that persecution is a blessing? And the answer to that, nobody will say, yes, it's a blessing. And yet it's part of the Beatitudes. Now, there are synonyms for the word Beatitude, and they're all very positive. Blessedness, benediction, grace, bliss, ecstasy, exaltation, heavenly joy, and so forth. The synonyms for persecution are oppression, victimization, maltreatment, abuse, discrimination, tyranny, torment, torture, teasing, bullying, and molestation. So, how can persecution be a blessing for a Christian? We're going to discover that by taking a look at Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus begins that he goes up on the mountain, and when he sits down, the disciples came to him. Now, the disciples refer to more than just the apostles. It refers also to those who are followers of him. And the first beatitude can be confusing. Some translations have, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of people think, Oh, Jesus often rails against the rich. Remember that rich man in Mark 10? We had a problem there. What must I do to inherit eternal life. He thought he could get to heaven by his works. And Jesus says, with the rich, it's harder to get to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so you have that situation where the eye of a needle, it's impossible for anybody to get through it. And in fact, Jesus says at the end of that passage, with men, it is impossible. So he's not just talking about rich men. He's talking about that any man, woman, or child, it's as impossible for them to do something to get into the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Therefore, the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? You are born with a spirit that has attached to it original sin due to the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. So what this particular beatitude is saying, you can't give anything to God to balance out your sins, to offset your sins. Therefore, you are poor in spirit. Well, in Christianity... God takes care of all of our poverties. And the way he does this 
is answering the prayer of David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Romans 7 talks about the difference between the old man and the new man. And according to our spirit, there's nothing we can give God to offset our sins. The old man can't give anything to God because he's an unbeliever. And therefore, he never has proper motivation. And the new man can't do anything to get God to get him to heaven because the only time he can do any good work is after he is totally saved, after God has forgiven his sins. And we're going to hear more about that as we go down the Beatitudes here. But the fact of the matter is, the old man... It's impossible to do a good work. And the new man who does fruit of the Holy Spirit, none of that can be used to offset your sins because you can't do a fruit of the Holy Spirit until you are a believer. And therefore, no good work you ever do can get you to heaven. It's the good work of Jesus. And he, through the Holy Spirit, gives you a new spirit. So, that blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are those who are not poor in spirit outwardly? People like the Pharisees, who think they're better than other people, who thank God they're not like the tax collectors. Because why? Well, we Pharisees, we fast. And we do other things, following the ceremonial laws. They thought they were saved by that, but they aren't. As Hosea 6 says, God isn't interested in your sacrifices as he's interested in a pure heart. So, yes, they did sacrifices, but they did them for a different reason. They did them looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. All right. So. Here we are with the first beatitude. The second beatitude doesn't sound very good either. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a whole way of mourning that even occurs among Christians. How many times does the devil give you the impression that because of your sins, you're not going to heaven? No way. You're not going to heaven because you're such a sinner. So you mourn over that. You wish there was a way that you could get to heaven. And you will be comforted because God has prepared that way. The narrow road. That's all the work of God. We often say, who gets all the credit if you are going to heaven. Jesus does. Then the opposite, who gets all the blame if you go to hell? And the answer is, you do. So, it's very important. When you go to a funeral, many people are mourning over the loss of a loved one. And at a Christian funeral, the comfort comes about with the promises 
from God that he will take a believer to himself in heaven, and we will see him also, or her, because we are blessed. So, blessed are those who mourn. We're blessed because we are comforted. We do not weep as those who have no hope, because the promises of God Give us that hope of seeing our loved one again. Next, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That doesn't make any sense. Who are those who appear to be in charge on the earth? They are not meek people. They are strong people who can set up businesses, order people around, and make a great profit, and they are looked up to as the ones who are inheriting the earth. But what does this beatitude say? Blessed are the meek in the sense of what God means by the meek. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Wow. Jesus was meek and lowly. He was God. He had all the attributes of God. He knew all things. He was all-powerful. He was omnipresent. That means he was everywhere. And he instead became incarnate. And as an incarnated human being, God was tired. God was hungry. God suffered pain. God died on the cross. That's humility. So for us to be humble means that we don't boast about how good we are. We confess our sins and leave it up to God to take care of them. How does he do that? Well, that's the next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is why... Law is very important to be preached because there are a lot of people you meet who don't think they're as bad as God thinks they are. Um, How many times have you had a conversation with someone who says, well, I understand that my neighbor, he's really sinful, or a person I work with, or my boss, or a family member in comparison to me. But... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's kind of like you have uh, friends at a meal and at a restaurant, and they love the food that you buy for them, and they get really filled. When you leave the restaurant, you get into the car, and you go to another restaurant, which has a buffet, all the food you want. People will not want to go into the buffet 
because they're already filled from the other restaurant. This is the way that we make people hunger and thirst for righteousness, is we show them that their spiritual self is empty of proper comfort and forgiveness. To hunger and thirst after righteousness means really to be free from the power of sin. It also means to be free from the desire to sin, free from the bondage of sin. Instead, he or she is an individual who wants to show the fruit of the Spirit in every action. It means to be like Jesus, Galatians 4, 19. So we give the law so people will hunger for righteousness because they realize they don't have it. And then the gospel gives them the good news of the promises from God, how they are receiving the righteousness from God. We looked at that, Romans chapter 3, where prior to understanding that, Martin Luther hated God. He hated God because he thought that when it talked about the righteousness of God, it meant that we had to be righteous like God. We had to be good in our works. And he would spend a lot of time with his priest confessing all kinds of sins because he was so worried about not being righteous enough. Well, he hated God until he read Romans 3, where it became very clear that we do not become righteous by doing good works. We are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Even while we're 100% a sinner, God then justifies us and declares us to be righteous. And the best example, of course, is Abraham. God said, you and your old wife, Sarah, will have a baby, even though she was way past childbearing age. Abraham believed it, and that faith was accounted to him as righteousness. So Christianity is totally different than every other religion. Then, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I often talk with Mark Smith about those various attitudes of God. Is he just? Is he merciful? Or is he gracious? And if you understand the word just, meaning you get what you deserve, that's the justice in the world. You rob a bank, you're going to get jail time. That's being just. But God instead is merciful where he doesn't give you what you deserve, which is eternal damnation. And he is gracious in giving you what you don't deserve, which is the forgiveness of sins. Now, God also is just because he forgives sins on the basis 
not of your good works, but on the basis of the good works of Jesus Christ. That's really quite different. Therefore, he is merciful to you. He is a just God because he has a reason he is able to forgive your sins because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. But at the same time, we need to be very well aware that we don't want a God of justice who is kind of a God of karma in giving you what you deserve because we don't want what we deserve. We want instead what God gives to us that we don't deserve, namely forgiveness of sins, righteousness. That's why we can be merciful to others. We hear them say something bad against us. Our friends tell us this. But rather than get even and say something bad about them, we forgive them and speak well of them, and hopefully that will bring a broken relationship back together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? First of all, only a believer can be pure in heart, because that means having a heart that is looking always toward God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than an external purity of obedience, which even an agnostic or an atheist can have. They also can give money to the poor to help feed them or to hospitals. But according to the Bible, their motivation is always selfishness. In fact, I've heard a lot of people say, I love to give money to a hospital because it makes me feel good about myself. Well, that's not proper motivation. The proper motivation is love for Jesus Christ. And the only way we can truly be pure in heart is to trust the Holy Spirit to do his cleansing work. We are not always pure in heart because our old Adam still sneaks through and causes us to sin. But then through repentance, we find a God who is merciful, forgiving our sins, and making sure that heaven is our home. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We pray a lot of times for peace, not only in the family, in the church, but also in the world. And we can gravitate towards that in declaring peace with others. But called sons of God, the Greek is very clear. It's not sons and daughters or men and women, but it's sons of God. Why? Because when the Bible was written at the time of Jesus, who received the wonderful good news 
of the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance from the Father. That's very, very important to understand, that therefore the inheritance went to sons. God declares every Christian a son, which means women are equal to men, equal to men in receiving the forgiveness of sins through faith in taking the Lord's Supper. There's not two lines, one for men, one for women. No, they come together. And this week at one of the churches I'm preaching at, we're going to have a confirmation where a person will be able to receive the Lord's Supper as a son of God, and she is a woman. The the Bible verse, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Now that's begotten. Born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, that's a slave to sin, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. That's why, doesn't matter if you're male or female, you are a son of God and an heir of God. Then we get to the persecution ones. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, I've been a pastor for decades. I've been on KFUO for over 24 years and other stations. Well... There's no doubt that I have been reviled and persecuted, even by Christians. I'll talk about the importance of infant baptism and get calls from people who say I'm speaking like the devil because baptism shouldn't be given to infants in light of the fact that they don't have the power to believe. But they do have the ability to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, as John the baptizer believed when he was still in the womb. So I can't think of any persecution or reviling that really got me that upset because of these verses. When people utter falsely on my account, then I am recognizing what God has done for me. To be persecuted is a blessing because it forces you to remember the promises of God. And when you remember those promises of God, one of them is, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I would make this point. If you haven't been persecuted, then I would say, that you have not really 
witnessed about Jesus in today's society. You can't keep quiet about Jesus and not be persecuted. So witness to others what God has given us. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, this week is the last Sunday of the church year. And a lot of people want to know when that day is coming. You may be surprised when you hear tomorrow how many people did say there was a last day. God bless you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.